Welcome to episode 89 of Honestly Unbalanced, where we chat to people that try to make your life that little bit better. And this guest this week certainly has done that. That's Radhika Das. You might remember, if you're a long-time listener, we chatted to Radhika Das in about episode 3 or 4, episode 89, and he's back. If you've never met Radhika or heard of him, he's widely regarded as being one of Kiritan's upcoming big names. 15 years ago, he went in search of his spiritual truth and deeper happiness and the path he connected to most with the path of back to yoga, the journey of love and devotion. And since then, he's become completely absorbed in the ancient practice of Kiritan. Uh, Radhika's collaborated with so many people from Russell Brand to world yoga festivals, uh, London festivals, Wonderlust, events like the British Museum. He's, uh, he's everywhere and spreading joy and light. And he spreads some of that joy, light and wisdom on the episode. He spreads some of that. We're going to be chatting about how children have impacted Radhika's spiritual practice. Like not children in general, but his children. His thoughts on whether you can be spiritual and actually make money how you can find little turning moments in your life as you work towards spirituality and how you can make the most of them, the importance of making small progress towards your chosen goal rather than pushing for perfection as fast as possible, how to build self-esteem. Both of our resistance to Kiritan when we first encountered it and why it's not important to overthink how people are perceiving you. Now, before we begin this episode, we would love your support in any way you can. That could include sharing the podcast, which would be amazing, leaving reviews, spreading the word, or also financially supporting what we do by making the most of some of the perks you get with us. So Hustler 10, H-U-S-L-E-R, all caps 10, will get you 10% off the world's best yoga mats, without doubt, and a B Corp certified ethical company, Lifeform. So head to Lifeform website and get yourself an awesome mat. If you're sick of wearing shoes that squeeze your toes together and you want to be a little bit more connected to the earth without getting dirty, I love Viva Barefoot Shoes. Uh, I've worn them for years. I love their trail shoes particularly. So they've still got the barefoot feel, but have amazing grip. And I think look a little bit cooler. Uh, and code, all caps again, Adam Hustler, VB, A-D-A-M-H-U-S-L-E-R, VB, will get you 10% off any Viva barefoot shoes. And you can also join our online platform at thehustlers.com, or you can find it via adamhustler.com. Uh, and on that, you get access to live classes, a catalogue of like 100 plus classes. You get access to sound healing, yoga, meditation, loads, and code HONEST25, all caps, will get you 25% off a 12-month membership or the recurring membership until cancellation. So yeah, support us if you can and enjoy listening to the episode. And one more little thing, we're going on retreats. Obviously, we always do loads of retreats. We've got a special one coming up in September in Spain. It's myself. It's holly doing her sound magic it's our good friend and former guest well two former guests michael wong and camille fidel will be joining us as well that's four of us 
delivering what would be an incredible retreat in Spain in September. And if you head to our website, thehustlers.com, or mine, adamhustlers.com, you'll find out more about it. Spaces are going fast. Honestly unbalanced. But I'd love to know how having children has affected your spiritual practice. And mm. not just the practice, but what things mean to you. And on a bigger question, like how you live your life now, has that changed as a dad? Yeah, that's a massive question. Um, yes, I'm stoked to be back. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, great honor to be guest number five or six or seven or whatever it was. But yeah, <laughs> back at number 80 means I'm doing something good. Um, yeah, having kids, it's a life school. You know, having kids is uh, a sacrifice of love that I never planned on never thought of but definitely needed and i think that having kids is uh definitely impacted it has definitely impacted my spiritual practice and i'm not able to read endlessly the literatures that i used to i'm not able to chant without um, looking at my watch every 10 seconds or <laughs> hearing a screaming screaming kid in the background but um what it has done it's helped me to value the time that i do get to do those things and I guess what it has also done is make me realize the importance of, um, yeah, what my parents did for me. You know, I, when I see my parents now, I'm like, I genuinely, when I say, hello, I love you. Thank you so much for everything you did for me. <laughs> um, I actually mean it 10 times more than when I first was writing Mother's Day cards. Um, so, yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, it's, it's a life school of sacrifice, a life school of love. And, um, yeah, it's definitely impacted, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I don't want kids because it's negatively impacted. No, it's just taught me to value the time that I do get to practice. And has it, has it changed what you want, I guess, commercially in the, maybe before you just you know, wanted oh, a, yeah. a certain type of success? Is that type of success you are looking for changed? Yeah, that's funny because I never thought I'd want more money because of kids. I thought, no, no, they'll adapt to my simple way of living. <laughs> but, um, uh, that's definitely not the case. Like, I want the best for my children. I think it's an instinctual thing. Maybe mm -hmm. it's just that's my opinion. But um, yeah, I definitely feel like I want to up my game so that I can afford to send my child on ski trip holidays when when that time comes, and you know, cricket tours when when that time comes. If if he wants to do that or if she wants to do that. Um, so yeah, it definitely has come. Do you mean like that, right? Commercial yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely feel that I want to um, be able to provide. It's quite an interesting conversation, <clears throat> um, money and spirituality, because I think oh, there yeah. is um, a, a notion that you, you can't be spiritual and have lots of money. Is mm -hmm. that some, is that a, a, an inner battle that you've kind of had to face? Yeah, it's so interesting. Today, literally about half an hour before jumping on here, I was reading in uh, a scripture called the Srimad Bhagavatam. And I know most of the listeners won't know what that is. It's like a postgraduate study of bhakti yoga. And um, in there, in the purple of that verse that I read today, it said this line, and this is going to be really, really interesting. It says, an easygoing life and the attainment of transcendental realization cannot go together by having comfort and hoping that one will attain transcendental realization it's not possible and i found that really striking because i'm always thinking about how to strike the balance but the the reality is by having more things and by relying on that comfort of those things i'm not going to attain more transcendental realization and that's a real conflict you know for anyone that's working in wellness how do I sustain myself at the same time as um, remaining a spiritually grounded person? 
And I think the answer for me is that I have to remain detached from the fruits of my action. Mm. And again, I know that sounds super complex and esoteric, so I'm going to try and unpack it. Um, it's not that I am striving to make money in and of itself, mm -hmm. but if I make that money and I can use the majority part of it back in the service of others, mm. and at the same time, I'm conscious about how I spend, so say, for example, I earn £100 from, I don't know, doing a festival. I know it's not really £100, but hypothetically. Mm -hmm. Let me split that in such a way that is conscious. So, for example, what I do right now is I have a friend that actually helps me with my accounting. So that way it's not a family member that can help me just slide something under the door. <laughs> but she comes in every Friday and we go through the accounts of what came in, what went out. And it makes me feel accountable that whatever has come in, a little portion of it goes back in to my project, a portion of it I get to use for travel and whatnot, and a portion of it I get to use for my family. And in that way, when I divide it, it's really consciously done. So I don't feel um, that I'm over striving. You know, I don't feel like, oh yeah, if I make 2000 now, then I get a little bit more. I don't, I tend not to get into that headspace. I'm trying to always consciously, okay, this percentage will always go back into a higher purpose or this percentage will be for my family. So I don't think of it like, you know, like I get too attached and the funny thing is, even when I'm speaking, I'm thinking people won't believe that. People will think, oh, but you're just going to get more attached to that small but small percentage <laughs> that is yours. Um, and that's that's true. But um, at least I'm trying to be conscious, more conscious about it. And I think that that's the best that we can do. Mm. You know? And I think you know, the, the, the text you just described, I, you know, you, you yeah. have to think the people that wrote these original spiritual teachings, mm. they were supported by something. They were supported financially and they had by a home and they had food by community etc and that doesn't really exist now in in mm. in that sense we have to support ourselves in some sense we have to continue to go on trainings to spread the word as it were <laughs> we need yeah. expensive cameras we need to buy equipment and of course we can make money through that as well but the nature of our job as educators whatever that might be has fundamentally changed whereas in the past it was either you were supported by community or you lived there was uh, have you heard of Diogenes a cynic no. So he was a kind of Roman era, to, to some degree, uh, Hellenistic philosopher, but he was of, of that time. Uh, and he was purely like, I don't need any possessions. He was of that. And he was a, a very wise man, but didn't need anything. And then an emperor came to him seeking his wisdom, uh, as the story goes, and said, I, you know, he was in the corner with his lamp. That's all he had with a lamp. And I can, uh, I can grant you anything you want. I want to hear your teachings. He said, you can mm. grant me one thing. Like, get out of my light. <laughs> mm. And that was his answer to the emperor. Uh, so that is very extreme end. But we, yeah, yeah, we aren't, we, we, we have no support really beyond. I think it's also like, you know, honestly speaking, I think it's also culturally, like I think we've just been brought up in a culture where more equals better. Mm. Yeah. And I just came back from a four day trip in India and um, yeah, just to live so simply, like I lived really simply there. I ate only like once, maybe twice a day and not out of choice, but just because there was so much going on. And I came back thinking, yeah, simple living, high thinking. Mm. I think that we can simplify life a lot more if we're just conscious about it. Mm. If we're just aware about the things that are superfluous to life. I think that if we just sat down and made a list of five things that we could do without in our lives, mm. I think we'd live a lot happier. And I think sometimes we do overcomplicate it by thinking, yeah, 
you know, what is the conscious way to live? Mm. And sometimes the right thing to do is to detach. And I think that's okay. You know, traditional spirituality does talk about detachment quite a lot of the time. And I think we don't consciously even think about detachment. We don't think like, okay, what are the 10 things in my life that I really don't need right now that don't serve my purpose, that don't serve my enlightenment, that don't mm. serve my upliftment, that don't serve the people around me, that don't serve my, serve my you know, in, endeavor to find love in this lifetime. What are those five things? Um, and if we just did that like regularly, like even once a month, once every two months, once every three months, a spring clean of our lives, mm. then um, I think that we'd live a lot, lot happier. Mm-hmm. But I think we overcomplicate it by thinking, what next thing do I need to strive to achieve to receive so that I can be happier? And I think that notion of more equals better has really entangled us. Mm. So I get the balance, but I think also we should think about detachment in in a way which is positive. How would you instill that values, I guess, to children? Because in India, I guess you were not with family, perhaps when you were no, there. No, I was on my own. You were yeah. on your own. It was it was kind of a it wasn't almost real life to an extent. Uh, yeah, and you, you weren't comparing yourself to anyone while you were there. Whereas you know, bringing up your children. They will be, as they get older, comparing their lives to the lives of others. So to your children or to anyone new to some spiritual inquiry mm. who's surrounded, like let's say in a city like London, by people with things and by friends mm. that are striving toward things, what would you encourage them to explore to find that detachment? Yeah. Well, a friend of mine, Kat Methan, she said something really powerful recently to me. She said that you get to choose you get to choose so much of the environment environment in which you place yourself in, the people you surround yourself with, the messages that you receive, the way in which you respond to people. And I think that sometimes we um, feel that we're trapped to um, conform that, yeah, my children are going to struggle to find ways in which they can live simply and think higher, you know, simple living, high thinking. So how am I going to instill that in my children? I think the simplest thing is I have to choose what they're exposed to within a certain framework. For example, I can choose where I get to hang out myself. You know, I get invited to come to late night network networking events, well, quote unquote wellness events, where there's <laughs> drinks and late night food. And I choose not to go there because I just don't think that serves me or my family. I don't think it serves my consciousness. I don't think it serves my family. And in the same way, Saturday and Sunday, I try to spend as much time with them going on walks. That's a choice or going to the temple. You know, even though my son doesn't know anything about the chanting, at least he claps his hands in the chant. And, you know, that for me is everything, because at least even if I'm not pushing it on him, that's not the point. I'm exposing him. I'm choosing to expose him to certain frequencies of thought, certain levels of consciousness that eventually I think will really help him, even if he chooses not to go down that path. So I've made a choice to, um, yeah, to choose my sangha, to choose my association. Mm to choose where I place and position myself. Was there a point in your life where you decided to walk this path, you know, a, a sort of turning point, or was mm-hmm. it just a natural kind of process of you you embodying what you do and your chanting and it just sort of naturally happened? Um, I think in with most of these kinds of questions, it's usually both, both there was a moment and both it's a progression. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel like I fully turned, you know, I, f- I feel like there's still so many things that I'm attached to that do not serve that spiritual purpose. Mm. But um, yeah, the moment for me was um, hearing my spiritual teacher chanting and I'm sitting at the back of the room, 
you know, miming along to the chant. And by the end of it, there's <laughs> an infamous picture of me in a yellow T-shirt, which I still have not publicly submitted. Um, but the T-shirt is like high above my belly. And um, I'm, I'm, yeah, hands raised, calling out these beautiful names and just thinking, yeah, this is it. You know, I've, I found that which my heart has been yearning for. And so, yeah, that moment I'll always hold sacred in my heart. But at the same time, I think sometimes we think so absolutely about our spiritual journeys that it has to be an epiphany, mm. that the clouds have to part, that the sun rays have to hit my forehead, and then I feel somehow uplifted. But I think a lot of the time it's incremental changes. Mm. I think sometimes we think so much about perfection in spirituality that we forget that progress is to be celebrated just as much. Mm. And that every step in a direction towards a higher consciousness is also a turning moment. You know, today I chose, for example, uh, to, I, I watched an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine while I was eating breakfast. Oh my God, we love that show. Yeah, I know. It's, it's the Addictive. best. I've watched it like twice <laughs> over. And so I chose, like after I ate um, half my cereal, I thought, you know, what? let me just change it up and let me watch something that's spiritual. So I watched one of my gurus talking about spirituality and um yeah i just went into the shower singing like it was just way better that way and it was a choice and i think turning moments like that can be progression moments towards perfection that, that are just as successful you know so yeah th there was that guru moment where hands raised in the air but what i'm trying to say is that yeah it can be every day you know like mm. right now i'm encouraging your listeners like find a moment today where you can turn towards a higher loving connection and that's just as successful as having a full-blown euphoric moment of joy in, in, you know, whatever that is for you. Why do you think sometimes people choose not to take the higher path? You know, in everyday choices, if you think every choice that I make can lead me towards something higher. So what is the reason for people not choosing that sometimes or often? Yeah, oh, so many, so many things. Well, I can only speak from that which I know or that has been taught to me. And um, it's understood that we're under the influence of um, three things in the material world. It's Adi Atmik, Adi Bhotik, Adi Devik. That's the Sanskrit words. They literally translate as influences that are worldly. So like, you know, natural disasters, mm -hmm. uh, influences that are of the own mind and influences of other people. And a lot of the time, us not choosing a higher connection has to do with these three things. Like, you know, someone says something to you and it just throws you off the whole rest of the day or your own mind, you know, like you're just super anxious about something and therefore you just feel like it's not the right headspace into entering a loving connection or, you know, the weather's just not good, you know, you're just not feeling up to it that day. So there are so many influences um, and I can understand that. But the thing is, is that that's why I think such it's, it holds so much importance to having a daily practice mm. You know, I think that the discipline of getting onto a mat, the discipline of holding on to your chanting practice, the discipline of, see, the thing is, when I say discipline, people always flinch a little bit because it's uncomfortable. The pain of discipline is uncomfortable, but the pain difference of regret the pain of regret is unbearable. Mm. So the pain of discipline of standing on your mat every morning might be uncomfortable, but the pain of regret of not having done that and then feeling at the end of your life like, oh crap, I missed an opportunity for a higher connection, that's unbearable. And so, yeah, it may be tough. There may be so many other things going on in life that are affecting you, adiatmic, adibotic, adidavic. 
but just remain steady in having a sacred time for yourself, even if you have kids, you know, just, mm. just wake up 10 minutes earlier or go to sleep 10 minutes later and just perform that sadhana, keep to that practice, um, even if it feels uncomfortable. I think discipline there is a really important word. I think mm. people often, instead of that, talk about motivation and they're not the mm -hmm. same thing. Like, I think motivation comes and goes. You watch a cool film, you're motivated. You you know, you know see someone in the gym, you're motivated, but that quickly yeah. pa passes. Discipline is something, you know, the thing you do regardless of how you feel, regardless of yeah. whether you had a good or bad day. I think dis discipline is a what affects change in yourself and what affects change in the world. Motivation 100%. doesn't really. Yeah, I mean, even in the hustle culture, you know, I mean, mind the pun, uh, even in the, the culture of grafting and, and really trying to be someone in this world, it's not easy. You know, there's a sacrifice either way. Like in that verse I was reading today about the uncomfortable life and attainment, transcendental realization, it further goes on to say, um, by the way, it's so interesting how this stuff comes out, right? Like, yeah, maybe just it's fly. just on my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but it says later on in that verse that penance is um, whether you're a materialist or a spiritualist. If you want to make money, it's not easy. You know, if you want to be a, a successful materialistic person, that takes a lot of craft. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of sacrifice. Um, and at the same time, if you want to be a spiritualist, it's not, it's not easy either. You know, you still have to put in the time. You have to put in the discipline. Um, even when you're not motivated by money, you may be motivated by something else. Fine. Even if you're, you know, even a materialist has a bad day, you know, but still the discipline and their approach to waking up on time. Whereas I think sometimes in the woo-woo of being a spiritualist, quote unquote, we can sometimes then just go, oh, it's fine. It'll just come when it comes. And I think that's a load of, load of horse crap. You know, mm -hmm. I just don't think that that's true. There's there's a quote that um, I always come back to, which I love. I think it's Les Brown. He says, do the easy thing and life will be hard or do the hard mm. thing and life will be easy. And that's always stuck mm. with me. I guess that's to wow. do with discipline. Spot on, no? Oh, I, I had some. Is it gone? Wonderful. I, oh, it's on the tip I was of thinking my we should probably talk about what Radhika actually does because we haven't even really touched on. And <laughs> the listeners probably thinking, so what's this guy all about? <laughs> uh, so, oh, so, yeah. no, oh. actually, okay, it came back to me. He's remembered. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> but we would talk Low about. State. We would talk about that. I, so what I thought there was, you often hear people say, and I've heard it, and I used to believe in it a little bit. That all today running with my yoga or my yoga today was looking after my children my yoga was mm. yeah, insert insert activity washing the car mm. was my yoga today and i'm i'm increasingly not an advocate of that i'm a mm. firm believer you need a formal practice even if mm -hmm. even if it's a short five minute meditation but mm. i think through a formal practice you then interact with the world and those activities in a way that is embodied as someone that practices yoga or has a spiritual practice, but they yeah. aren't your practice in themselves. I just wonder yeah. what your view, I'm, I'm not saying that my view yeah, is right, yeah. but what are your views on that idea? See, I think that there's a tragedy in the word yoga because um, see, let's, let's take the word yoga. Yog means to bind, to connect with something higher. And the tragedy that I find is that religion, the etymology of the word religion, religio, means to bind, to connect to God. And uh, what we've done essentially is thrown the baby out with the bathwater. That yes, we don't like the ritualistic rules or the, um, the discrimination that's there in religion. And therefore we've effectively thrown out the baby with the dirty bathwater. 
And in yoga, I think we're getting to a stage, eventually it's, it's going to be more prevalent where the same thing is going to happen. We're already seeing like cultural appropriation in yoga. We're already seeing people, you know, dissing yoga because it looks, you know, it's, it's too commercial and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And so slowly people are starting to strip away the layers and go back to the root of what's the baby, you know, and, mm. and that is the connection. And I think that it's in, in, yoga in running and yoga in all your lifestyle and i totally agree with it and i i'm I'm fully an advocate of it being um both yoga on the mat and yoga off the mat um but i think that also there has to be a point at which you 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 set a time which is um the actual practice which is prescribed by the the tradition Mm. which is yeah time on the mat time with your mala time with the the chants you know time with the scripture time with self-discovery and um it's not that all of those things have to have to happen every day, but at least like at some point in the week, if you can just pencil in that time. And it sounds like this is the point I'm, I made earlier that it sounds lofty. What I'm speaking about, people might be thinking in their mind, um, yeah, Radhika, if, if life was so easy, you know, like I've got so many other commitments and so many other responsibilities. But what I'm trying to say is don't beat yourself up if you don't do it but at least hold in high regard that um, progress on the path is better than perfection. If your life isn't perfect and you're not living to a perfect schedule, no problem. But at least if you could just carve out right now, okay, say after this podcast, you've listened to this podcast, then five minutes after, what I want you to do is just uh, pick up the Bhagavad Gita and just read one verse or uh, set yourself a disciplined note in your uh, calendar that says today for 20 minutes, I'm going to get on the mat, you know, like, do it today. Don't wait for tomorrow because that progress, you'll always thank yourself for it. You know, the endorphins that come out of just living to a promise that you've committed to yourself. That's still wonderful. So yes, yoga in connection in, in the world off the mat. I totally think it's possible, but only if you do find the time to also mm. root yourself on the mat. I think, do you know, I think there's some importance though in actually kind of falling off the mat and coming away from it, which is kind of where I'm at at the moment because I'm a new mom and maybe it's an excuse, but also I feel like, you know, we do kind of just go into survival mode and the baby's mm. kind of a practice in itself. Um, but, you know, I find that sometimes having that that time to fall off the bandwagon, as it were, is actually quite... Um, it kind of makes you realize, I suppose, that you've fallen off in order to make you come back again and, and think about what you actually lost in order yeah. to come back to balance. And someone on my sound healing diploma, a teacher said, uh, it'd be really boring if we were always, you know, in balance and harmony and euphoric oh, all yeah. of the time. And life is just this game of kind of falling off and coming back again and finding new tools to kind of, you yeah. know, tweak and come back. And so I think there is some importance yeah. in coming yeah, away from I'm, it for a bit. I wonder what you think that's about That's a really that. good disclaimer. That's what, Because, you know, my wife has now got two kids and I'm watching her right now. Like I'm looking out a window and looking Aww. at her, looking after my baby and girl. it's a brand new baby, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that time is required. And, you know, my, my spiritual teacher, he was really pragmatic about it. He just said, don't worry about the sadhana. Like, it's okay. But, you know, I think that what for me, what commends me to her is that she still found like one minute to read. Like she's got a, a calendar, which has got a verse on it. And every day when she flicks the calendar, she just reads that one verse. I love that. Mm. Just so you something. just you find what you can do, you know, yeah. what is it for you mm. that gives you just that one moment of connection during the day. Mm. That's why I was saying like chanting. It could just be one Ram or Om mm. or whatever Just intentional, it is. yeah. Yeah, just like a, a small moment of that. 
But it's, it, I think yeah, you say there the, the calendar she has, it's making it easy for yourself in some way. Making it easy. As a yoga Atomic practitioner, like if, yeah, like if, let there be least resistance. So if you're a yoga practitioner and you have the space, leave a mat out at all times. If you meditate, right. if you meditate, have your meditation cushion somewhere visible. If you can't, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, put it on your coffee table. <laughs> exactly. And, and have things nearby. Or have it actually even better. This is from Atomic Habits, the, the book by David Like habit stacking. Like have the Bhagavad Gita or whatever by your kettle. Like, yeah. As in, so that when you're <laughs> waiting for your morning coffee, you read that mm. verse. I'll be totally hands up honest. This is honestly unbalanced, right? A lot of the time, I'm not in balance. I don't wake up early all day, every every single day of the week. I don't. Um, I find it difficult to complete my chanting every single day. And there's days where I even struggle with my reading. So what I've started doing is I placed exactly like you said. I placed my Kindle in a place where every single day I have to pass it. Mm. So then I'll just click it, even if it's not at the same exact time every single day. I just click it. It's not your toilet. It. It's not your toilet, is it? No, no, it's not. I promise not. It's not my toilet. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my time of scrolling reels. You know? I'm just like, <laughs> oh, thank you for your honesty. That's a, very, that's a very man thing, isn't it? I think all men go to the toilet. It's like their sanctuary. It's They're like your Are you one of those guys, by the way? Yes, he is. Are you one of those guys that um, sends all your friends uh, the funny reels? I, well, actually, mainly Holly. Actually, no, oh, really? no. Hang on, just to clear this up, Adam sends me the reels. I, I can't give I'm myself start the time. I'm going to sending you both reels now. No, oh, yeah, please don't. Hilarious. You're going to judge me. You're going to be like, this guy's not spiritual anymore. You can send cat things my way. I find the cat, cat. thing, anything cat, if I, I find okay. hilarious, but everything else, be so. We've talked about perfection a little bit. There's one quote that I actually, I know he's in, and I read it. I think when I was 18 for the first time, and it really stuck with me. And I had it written like on my, literally on my laptop. <laughs> that laptop broke a little while afterwards because I was a bit of an Perfection. idiot. I, I kind of, I, I covered it in Tipex and then drew on it, thinking it would oh, look damn. cool. Not understanding kind of heat transfer. <laughs> like, oh, damn. This is years ago. Uh, uh -huh. But the, the quote was, perfection is static and I am in full progress. Perfection wow. is static and I am in full progress. Yeah. And that really stuck with me. The idea that, you know, that number one, you know, p perfection is this imaginary place where we, that doesn't really it's not exist. Real, is it? no. And it's imaginary state that doesn't really exist. And yeah. if we were to ever get to this place, we would probably feel quite stagnant and life yeah, would actually a, lose meaning to some mm, degree. Yeah, there's a thought that came out um, just now while you were speaking is there's a, another wonderful principle um, in, in one of the bhakti texts that talks about how we should learn to be authentically crooked. <gasps> oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That rather than trying crooked. to always be perceived as perfect, because you know what happens, you know, if we pre pretend to be perfect all the time and someone calls us out, then it hurts us more mm. because the false ego, the false us, the, 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 um, yeah, the, the non-real part of us, the non-soul part of us gets hurt. Because we feel that, oh my God, they're calling me out. Let me show them, you know? I know I actually am perfect. But rather, <laughs> if we just live authentically crooked and just be like, yeah, you know what? I've not realized God. I may have had some beautiful divine moments, but I've not realized the ultimate truth in full totality. That's okay, you know? Then it hurts us way less. When someone criticizes us, then it doesn't hurt us as much. So if you're mm -hmm. someone that, you know, feels hurt when someone criticizes you, then one of the things that's suggested is live more authentically crooked. Mm. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not perfect. You know, okay. my beard line's not always perfect. All good. Can, can, I, can I read something? Someone just on terms of, because we've had that conversation separately, didn't we, about social media 
and yeah. you know people being nasty to you on social media and you yeah. know my view is actually just immediately block them and delete them i like, don't interact with them it's mm. a waste of time they're clearly kind of mm. quite sad coming from fear uh someone sent i put a video on the other day uh, and someone wrote I screenshot it because oh, I had it quite amusing oh. emoji laughing face enjoyed a few too many burgers burger emoji lately Adam isn't that so rude and like, un- un- like an unknown account yeah. and uh, so obviously part of me thought oh, I-, I feel really bad for them like the fact that they've created an account Shocking. and are quite upset yeah. by it like I- they must be really sad and actually I would hopefully love to meet them and help them help them through that but yeah. also or punch them in the face but also I just I, I, no I acknowledge the fact that I really didn't care I found it quite yeah. funny and yeah, I think yeah. but that is a beauty I think of as you say not living behind a mask and just being true to yourself and being increased I, I said this in the podcast with you to be able mm. to see things as they are and when when you talk about seeing things as they are that's not the external world around you but seeing yourself for what you are yeah. So an observation would be there, you know, for me, oh yeah, I've, I've got more mm. bo- percentage body fat than normal. That's fine, yeah. but I'm really fine. happy. You know? <laughs> it comes from self-esteem, I think, having a strong sense of self, doesn't it? And knowing yourself. Yeah, 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 sorry, and on know. that topic of self-esteem, again, we sound slightly related. We went to a Montessori school recently oh, for yeah. something. We, were, mm. we, we looked into that and they talked about self-esteem. And I'd heard someone else say, like a parenting guru, the best way for you to help your child deal with the future with social media and with all of all, all of this stuff that that can they they can be exposed to without you really knowing the best way for a child to navigate that is to instill early in them some sense of self-esteem yeah and yeah. i wonder if you've got any thoughts on that on how to build self-esteem mm. without building ego <laughs> mm yeah, we definitely live in a world of mm, many devices of mass distraction. Mm. And we live in a world where a lot of our val- validation comes from likes and comments mm. and uh, numbers on, an, let's just face it, a program. It's a digital program. So much of our validation comes uh, from that, which is in the hands of others. Like, you know, we place so much of our emotion in the, in the remote control of the hands of others. Mm. And... Um, yeah, it's super scary, but I think that that's the reason why is because like what we've done is, you know how they say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. And and this is just an opinion. Maybe we can, we can, I have not fully thought this through, so maybe we can churn it, but putting eggs in one basket, you can use that analogy even for validation. And sometimes we can place the validation that we desire in the basket in one basket, which is that only if others feel that I am worthy, then I'm my worthy. Mm. And I think that what we can do is rather than just putting all of our eggs in one basket of the validation in the hands of others, let's try and find some time to understand that we are actually truly amazing individuals as well. Like it's understood that every single individual is sat, chid, ananda by nature. Uh, that means that the spirit soul that's seated within your heart, it has the quality of full of truth, full of knowledge, eternal. Um, yeah, hold on. Sat, chid, eternal, and full of bliss. Yeah? So sat means full of truth, chid means eternal, and ananda means full of bliss. You're truthful, you're eternal, and you're full of bliss. That's that's your nature. Mm. So how do we uncover that nature? So sometimes it's a case of 
if we if we just take that as a theory, right? Look, okay, you're you're such ananda, you're, you're full of truth, full of bliss and eternal. How am I going to uncover the layers of that to understand that that's who I truly am? And I think because we, in one sense, have lost our way with that, we we don't know how to do that. So then we just assume that it has to be in the hands of others, and that's where I think that pain comes from. And that's where, like, if I'm honest, that's where I feel really deeply connected with Bhakti Yoga because yeah, it's fun chanting with others and it's fun traveling the world, but honestly, I think like you've said before, Adam, it helps me to walk the middle path. You know, it helps me to feel that, yeah, I'm I'm happy regardless of all the things out externally or even in my mind. It helps me to feel uh, that, yeah, I am a blissful person deep down as you unpack the lid. And you you come back to that true nature through chanting and through back to yoga. Mm-hmm. That's your, they're your ways of coming back yeah. to that place. Yeah. yeah. Kirtan, I like to say it in one line for those that are new to Kirtan. Yeah. Kirtan is a musical meditation that takes a minute to learn and makes you feel good just as fast. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Did you come up with that? I love that. Um, I think one of my friends, Janavi Harrison, she came up with it. She that's wrote really it and nice. I've just stolen it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's gorgeous. Yeah, that's stunning. So, so yeah. for someone who wanted to, because you're doing some Kirtan, I do Kirtan in London all the time. You're going, are mm-hmm. you doing a tour as well? Have I made it up? Yeah. Um, well, Basically, every year I travel to loads of different countries, and um, my uh, manager, his name's Rushab, shout out Rushab, um, he said, mate, why don't you just create a poster and pull all the dates on there? I'm sure people would love to know where you're going and when you're going, because I usually just turn up and, you know, mm-hmm. I've been very strategic about it, it's something I'm learning um, as the years roll by, and so that's what we did. So I'm going to Berlin, to New York, to Italy, um, if you want any of the information, it's all up on my website. Um but yeah, loads of different countries. LA, I'm going to Bhakti Fest in September. If you guys, anyone that's hearing this is coming out there. In fact, on um, that note, our next guest, well, as in next guest to be released, is Govindas, mm-hmm. who I think you know quite oh. well. Oh, he's a really good amazing. friend of mine. Yeah, we're gonna love speaking to him. No, we, we, I, we didn't already. know you guys knew each other actually. We yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah. you, and you're like, oh yeah, really good friends. Yeah, he's yeah. so lovely. He's a, he's a deep guy. He's a yeah yeah. He's a soul brother. Let's call it like that. <laughs> Birds of a feather. No, he's a, he's a very cool guy. So it, would you say that other, not other, I know obviously America's like slightly further ahead with everything yoga in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, they've the Bhakti Fest have gone on for years. Mm-hmm. Other countries in Europe, would you say kind of Bhakti Yoga and Kiritan are more popular or less? Like I know Berlin seems to have a lot, like Dave Stringer, who's a former guest. He's always in Berlin doing, yeah. doing stuff. Is, is, has yeah, Berlin Berlin's got that enough. crowd? Yeah, I mean, if you ever want to travel, there's a few countries that I highly recommend visiting. One of them is Berlin because it's like, I mean, someone told me it's like the vegan capital of the world. And one thing I really noticed about Berliners, shout out to Berliners if you're listening, is that you're really conscious people. They're, they're just really like, um, and maybe for, for a Londoner, it becomes a bit too much because they really overthink and really are conscious about every decision that they make. And this is a super stereotype, so I appreciate that. Um, but they are very conscious people and they are, um, yeah, they're just aware of their choices and what they engage with. And that's what makes Kiritan really, really easy to share there because they're all about consciousness at the moment. That just That's the state of the kind of yoga world in, in Berlin. Did I read that you were a bit resistant to Kirtan when you first came across oh, it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I thought it was super weird. Like, imagine. <laughs> I mean, just like, let's be honest, you know, it's it's sitting in a room with a bunch of people chanting mantras that aren't in a native language like English for me. 
and you're you're seeing people dancing euphorically and uh yeah for for a first time i always say i'm like if you're freaked out um well yeah i'm sorry like it, it, it wasn't meant to freak but i understand the experience of people getting freaked out when they first secure time they think oh is it a possessive state are they being possessed by a spirit and, and that's not true at all it's just um you know it's it's strange because i unpacked it later and it's i think the reason why i was freaked out is because i was so not ready to see people happy Mm. You know, when we see people joyously dancing, chanting, and and I mean, essentially singing, dancing, and, and smiling without drugging up and without drinking tons of bevies, then you know it's it's strange. Like, what well, what's wrong with them? Is there something in the aircon? Put some <laughs> weed in the aircon or something? Um, but yeah, I think now that I'm unpacked it years later, it's because sometimes we're so used to people being so moody all the time. Mm. You sit on a train, and if you smile at someone, someone will automatically say. What's your problem? Mm. I'm just like, there's nothing, no problem. I'm just a happy person. You know? As a yeah. side, that's a wonderful way to get someone not to sit next to you on a train. Yeah. Or smile at like, them. As they walk past, smile, or like pat the seat and smile at them. <laughs> pat the seat. <laughs> that's a little creepy, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You get that seat to yourself. <laughs> I'll try it. That's uh, true. It can, it can really trigger people to see others in their light, can't it? And I think yeah. it's something that someone said to me in the last couple of years, which was lovely, is, is because it reminds you of the power and the light that you have inside you and yeah. and that can be a really scary thing mm. you know to know yeah. that you have that in you and to then have to change your life because yeah. you want it you know everyone wants really to be in that full power and light but it requires a lot of discipline and and change yeah. to sort of I mean I know momentarily with Kirtan you can get there but I mean to long term it can yeah. be quite a scary thing. And I think this is a good point because I think sometimes we, we in the wellness world, we speak about overcoming the negative. Mm. And I think there is a point also where we have to speak about when we're experiencing joy, how to express that maturely. Because say if we are experiencing whatever spiritual joy, an inner connectedness, you're feeling happy in your life. Forget spirituality, you're just feeling happy. You've got a great family situation, you've got a great home, you know, you're, you're being sustained. Then how to share that? Because you know what it is? We live in a world where we connect with people more over their pain than we connect over their joys. Mm. And wouldn't it be more wonderful if we could just be happier for other people and also when we're happy, express that maturely. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way in which we do that is just simply by being more compassionate when we've been given compassion. Mm. You know, when we're receiving joy, then try to fill other people's lives with that joy. And not by showing off all the things that we've been given, but rather serving others with that which we've been given. So mm -hmm. say, for example, I made some money, then rather than me just spending it all on myself, let me put a little bit away for spending it with my friends or people mm -hmm. that are going through something that maybe need a night out or need a, a dinner with them. So let me just go and spend it with them. So sharing our joys, and, and it doesn't even need to be proclaimed. I don't need to say, hey, guys. I made money. Mm. Let's go out. It can just be, hey, look, I just want to catch up. You want? Mm. I just want to be there as an in, 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 in a friendly way. Do you want to just catch up? And you know, dinner's on me, just as a friend, friend to friend. Mm. You know, and you, yeah. you always get it back, don't you? What what you get, and you should always. obviously never do it for that reason. You know, you give from the no. heart. But when you really truly do give from the heart, from that place, you always get it mm. back. And it's not always in the same way. You know, if you give a fiver, you won't necessarily get a fiver back. But maybe it's no. you know, like a little dog runs up to you and gives you a little lick on the face, and you really enjoy. You know, you get some, a lovely compliment or something. You'll always get yeah. that energy that you give out I, back. I, I wonder, is it that you get it back, or is it that it puts you in a headspace to be open to other things? Maybe it's Probably the same both. thing. And realize, yeah. and realize. 
the beauty of the world and realize oh that dog yeah. not just think oh dog get away but you actually <laughs> that's a nice way of looking at it. it yeah i think maybe that yeah. is it you're just more conscious when you are exposed to good things you are then more maybe more conscious and aware yeah and it doesn't have to be this or that you know i think what like i think sometimes with these kind of things we think is it this or is it that and I think the beauty is it can be this and that. Yeah, you know, It can be yeah. both that you're noticing it more and that the universe is given back. And both of them can be, and, and I think sometimes we we try to unpack it by saying, I need to know the reason why I'm receiving this joy. Mm. But you don't ever think like that. When you're receiving joy, you're just receiving joy. Mm. And I think, but the converse is also true. When you're receiving the bad moments, rather than thinking all the time, why is this happening to me? We can sometimes also unpack it by saying, what is this trying to teach me? Mm-hmm. So rather mm-hmm. than it always being this reason or that reason that, you know, I'm receiving this joy, let's also think, is this reason and that reason I'm receiving it? Mm-hmm. And in the same way in our sorrows, you know, is this and that. Now, this person isn't particularly spiritual. And I think it is Christopher Hitchens that said this. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I quite like it. In the, when the unit, no, the people that say, you know, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. The simple answer is, well, why not you? <laughs> which which is dark in I, I, it might not be christopher hitchens but it's certainly something he would have said i mean that's a that's a principle right <laughs> but yeah it's but, the same way of saying what is this trying to teach you mm, but like what, what it's, it's a lesson yeah that you. is true actually it's a, yeah. it's a similar thing isn't it yeah and it mm. means that you could yeah you can actually focus on you and realize that there is no there is no force in my belief like bigging you up it's just for you to connect with the world it's for you yeah. to make make good however whatever that looks like whether that be through helping yourself or helping others yeah. we are we are powerful beings mm. and as maybe alluding, alluding to what cat says you had a choice we yeah. do have a choice of course we don't have a choice in all of our external circumstances but we have a choice of how we then interact with them and digest them and how we move forwards yeah like i, I had a retreat in uh, in vrindavan i take a group to india every year like 50 people and it's super it was my first time doing a retreat that big and especially to a, a place that is externally chaotic like India. And um, day three or day four, I lost my voice. Oh, no. And I mean, oh, no. for what I do, it's like that I've basically lost my, my major tool. Like that, I, I use my voice for everything, mm. for speaking, for singing, for explaining, for, you know, comforting, for, you know, whatever. And so day three or day four, I can't remember, I lost it. And... Um, that night I was just really bewildered because I was like, what the hell am I going to do? And I was so, so strung up on what am I going to do about it that I, I, in the morning when I woke up, I sat on the edge of my bed and I had to just, just sit there and think, what is this trying to teach me? And then my, the inner voice was uh, a part of me was saying, don't be so far fetched, you know, like it's, it's just, you lost your voice. You overexerted it. And uh, the, the other part of me was saying, no, 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 think about it. What is it trying to teach you? And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, the the night before or the day before I lost it, I spoke quite strongly about, um, you know, Vedic philosophy. And I ended the class by saying, what's the difficulty? That was the line. I said, what's the difficulty? You know, I'm giving it so cleanly. I'm giving it so I was quite like passionately speaking. And then uh, I I didn't notice, but actually a few people got a little hurt by that and a little offended by the way I was speaking. And it was a big lesson for me just to realize that the voice is to be used not for uh, promotion, but for attraction. Mm. And that's been my mood ever since. And I, I've lost it once or twice since. And I've tried to reflect, did I say something that was in that promotion mood rather than attraction? But I think as wellness um, instructors, teachers, anyone that's listening that is, 
um, sharing wisdom with others, that is sharing instruction with others. Sometimes we have to think to ourselves, and this is just maybe a lesson for me, but maybe it helps you as well. Am I using my voice, my mind, my body, my words in promotion, self-promotion, or promotion of my my process and my tradition and my my religion and my spirituality, or am I using it to attract? And mm. I think there's a subtle difference there. And that was like for me, was like, what what is this trying to teach me? And you know, the miraculous thing is, as soon as I, I figured that out, or rather that, that kind of lesson came to me, within like half a day, my voice was back. Mm. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> like it usually takes like five days to get your voice back. Mm. So I saw that as kind of like a divine miracle. And it was like a real lesson for me going forward. So if yeah, if someone How is hearing this that came on my retreat, now you know the reason. Amazing. I just wondered this this came up uh we had a we were chatting to someone who runs retreats very regularly a few a, mm -hmm. a few days ago and what came up was of course on retreats especially in somewhere like India you know where especially if people haven't ever been somewhere like that before it can stir emotions it can be quite oh, yeah. it can be quite overwhelming in 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 many senses and people can feel quite, be quite vulnerable and i just wonder you know maybe some people then put you on a pedestal and oh, yeah. how would you, in Guru. a sense, how would you protect yourself in that context? So if people are coming to you and maybe being too open with you, if they can be too open or they're relying on you too much, how would you divide that? How would you create clear lines? Oh, what a question, Adam. Um, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, going, you said about going to India. It was like, I say this to everyone that comes with me, that it's not going to be a soft landing on the way there. <laughs> I mean, when you get when you get there, not in the physical, like the plane, but I mean, when the door opens, you're like, holy crap, where the hell am I? <laughs> um, but also on the way back, let me warn you, when you land back in London, it's not a soft landing because you're like, what the hell? I'm in a place where people don't mean what they say and don't say what they mean. You know, I'm in a place where smiles don't mean smiles. I'm in a place where, yeah, anyway, so many different cultural things is one thing, but so many spiritual things also. And uh, you're right, when people came to India, they, um, A, the, the attendees put you on a pedestal, or rather I felt like that. And B, um, when people see you in India with a group of 50 Western people, automatically you become Swamiji, even if you're just a 32-year-old <laughs> kid, you know, inner kid. People just automatically think that you've got something special to say and the respect comes up. And um, yeah, I mean, how to deal with that? If I'm honest, um, I'm not quite fully realized on it but i know there's a few things one of the things that i do is when i feel that my pride is getting quite strong um i think of my spiritual teacher i close my eyes and i just think of him standing behind me and all the praise that's coming towards me i just pass it on backwards because anything good you hear from me is definitely a teaching of his <laughs> and anything bad you hear of me is definitely me so um <laughs> Yeah, that's one practice I do. Like, that's lovely. That's why I keep pictures of him everywhere, you know. Is he, still, is, he, is he alive still? Yeah, yeah. I've got a picture of him in front of me, a picture mm. of him from and where, where is he based? In Germany, in Berlin, funnily enough. Oh, wow. Is that where you mm. met him? I met him. He was the, that guru that in my first kirtan, that, um, he was the one singing and I was miming and the yellow t-shirt. And was that Berlin? Incident. That was in Spain in 2000. Oh, wow. Ooh. I can't remember what you I mean. just assumed it was all like all like North London. I don't know how I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can I yeah, ask yeah. you a bit of a weird question about I, I was thinking about I was talking a lot about next of the day and next strength 
and how in Western culture, our heads kind of hang, <laughs> yeah, neck, I think neck, yeah. Okay. And our heads kind of hang forwards and we're quite immobile in the head. And then I reflected that on India, there's lots of head movement. Uh, and it's all quite subtle. Mm-hmm. I, I saw this really I'm interesting. I'm doing one to him right now on the camera. I, wa- I then watched a documentary on it and how, how, <laughs> how subconscious it is and how, of course, you know, yes can often be the bobble. And they then said to this group of kind of in, in, Indian guys, what would, you, what would you do if you were answering yes to something? And they all nodded their head. Mm. And, and then they said, and that meant yes. And then they all, <laughs> they all did that. Yeah. It was really- it's a subtle one. You know, if, if someone's saying something that you agree with, you can just go like one tilt to the yeah. side and that's also yes. And the, but it was, it was subtle and subconscious. And it's just this random wondering I had. Do you mm. think, maybe I should ask someone who is more physical in terms yeah. of intent. <laughs> do you feel that their necks, like people have stronger necks? Do people stand taller perhaps in India? Have you noticed that a little bit? Better posture? No, I, I'd say the opposite. <laughs> the posture's really bad. I, mean, I, <laughs> I just had to ask as someone who's been in India recently. I just wanted to yeah, know yeah. about neck strength. <laughs> No, it's just like the externals are just really not a thing in India, you know, like people will stare at you and they don't mean anything by it. They'll sit super crooked and they don't think anything by it. They'll be very unhygienic right in front of your face and they don't mean anything by it. Nothing rude meant by it. It's just the the thing about India is like, and, and it's not to say that it's better or worse. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just that they're not just, they're not focused on as externals as much as we are here. Mm. Like, you know, here I'm so conscious about whether everything is prim and proper. There I, I can just let go of that. And it's mm. so freeing. Like, mm. even if for no other reason, that's one of the reasons I'd go to India just to be free of, it doesn't, no one gives a crap, you know? And you know, it's a life lesson. People don't care as much as we think that they care. Mm. Like, I think sometimes we over like, Hypersen- are overly hyperly sensitive about um, how am I being perceived by others and the reality is a lot of people just don't give a crap because they're, they're all worrying about what everyone else is thinking same, exactly they're worried about themselves <laughs> <no one> cares. <laughs> and you know it's, it's a secret to confidence that if you want to be more confident in any room any situation even with this whether it's a celebrity like one of the things I've always found is just to realize that that person is probably thinking I wonder how am I going to come off in, in this situation? I wonder what the perception is going to be. Mm. And if you can just get into that inner mindset, you can be super, super chill in any environment. Mm. Um, it's helped me a lot, actually. Mm. Like, I, I can't name names, but there's been, in, in, I've been in rooms where I am genuinely the least famous person there. But just by remembering that they're probably just as anxious as I am in some sense, like just, I wonder if, you know, if I say something and they, it's not politically correct, they probably mm. have to be more hyperly sensitive oh, about yeah. this stuff. So... Yeah, I, I love just being able to just be myself and crookedly so. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, do you want to do some quick fires? Let's do some quick fires. As always, we could just chat for hours and hours and hours, but have to cap it at some point. Have you got a quick uh, fire in mind, no, Adam? Go ahead. Oh, I haven't even got one. Um, what are you reading at the moment? I am reading the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's the postgraduate study of Bhakti Yoga. Uh, and then actually we don't need quick let's just tell us where you are tell us where you're going to be not like where you are now but you, some of the okay. some of the tour dates and when's your next event you're in London I wish we could come to that maybe we can persuade yeah. I'd love to come to the, the next one that's in where is that it's a Union Chapel yes yeah, which so is the most got, incredible venue um, yeah the 5th of May in London I've got a, a thousand person concert at Union Chapel uh, please do come and then the homestay is Friday nights at Omnom and if you want any information on any future events, it's radikadas.com forward slash events. And your album and podcast? Um, podcast comes out every Monday. It's got a host of, yeah, amazing guests and uh, yeah, people like yourselves. And what's I've it called? What's it called? 
It's called For Soul's Sake. <laughs> for Soul's Sake, lovely. Interestingly, the reason why we called it that is because um, I've not yet used it. Like I've not explained it before. So here's an exclusive for you. I was looking <laughs> through it, names for the podcast and um, I couldn't find anything. Like I was looking for like soul this and, you know, I don't know, spiritual that. And I just got to a point where I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And then I just went, for, for soul's sake. Yeah. For soul's sake. Yeah. I looked at him and it worked. Oh, I love it. Amazing. Yeah. And where can yeah. people, Your is your album out or is it to download or is it on Spotify? It's everywhere. Yeah. Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, all the hotspots. Um, same with the podcast. It's on all major platforms. So what's yeah, it called? Go check it out. Uh, I've got an EP out called... Oh, what's what it a tuneful. called? That's a tuneful called. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. What's... Oh Just yeah, Finding My Way. Finding My Way. Finding my way. Amazing. Yeah. And then there's a load of live albums because a lot of the feedback we were getting is, oh yeah, these are cool recording albums, but what about the live stuff? So then we recorded previous concerts and we put those up. I agree with that in Kiritan. So when I listen to what seems like call and response, like pure, like, as if you were there, but it's recorded in the studio, it doesn't yeah. have the same feeling. And everyone yeah. is too good a singer. Yeah. It's a diff it's a really different sensation. Although I do listen to that stuff, it's mm. not the same as a live recording. The live recording is yeah, yeah. actually you, I totally you, agree. you could tune in to the collective a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So my um dream is to one day win a Grammy under the chant section, which yeah, stage yeah. has been a massive part of that. Mm. And so I know I need to record more music. And so this year I'm recording a full on album. Um, but the live stuff is in my heart, uh, you know. So if if you like live Kiritan, then go check out Heartland One and Heartland Two. It's it's all up on Spotify. It's live Kiritan. Who who won the Grammy this year? Uh, I have no idea. I think I know. I know Dave Stringer was up there. He, he was, was nominated. Nominees, yeah. yeah. Uh, but amazing. Maddie. Yeah. We will uh, we, we will let you get back to your children and your family now. Thank you oh. so thank much you for so much, giving time to us when time is not <laughs> that free at the moment oh. for you. But thank you, you guys so are you guys are really doing something special by sharing wellness and doing it alongside a family. And uh, yeah, I'm deeply appreciative of our friendship. You're always helping me so much. So thank you so much. Oh. It's a pleasure. Oh. Thank you so much. Oh. 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 Honestly, I'm balanced.